just by way of recap, where, where we've kind of come from up to this point, we see week one, we talked about how the Holy Spirit is a divine person who helps us. Like we have that relationship with the Holy Spirit as he comes alongside us. Week two, we talked about how the Holy Spirit is in us and, um, and with us. And in week three, last week, we talked about the Holy Spirit's work in conforming us into the image of Christ. And tonight, our focus is going to be on the work of the Holy Spirit to bear fruit in the life of the believer. And where some might, you know, feel like maybe they have a clear grasp on maybe what the Bible is referring to when it talks about fruit in the life of a Christian, you know, there might be some of us who honestly maybe isn't all that clear. And in all honesty, honesty doesn't necessarily understand maybe, number one, what the Bible means when it refers to fruit, uh, two, where that fruit comes from, and thirdly, what is its purpose? And I just think that would be a perfect roadmap for us to follow along tonight in this study on the Holy Spirit and the fruit that it desires to bear in our lives. And so we're going to use Galatians chapter 5 as our springboard into our discussion tonight where where Paul is writing on the subject of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. You can follow along in verse 16. Paul writes, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are idolatry, fornication, uncleanliness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentious, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in times past that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But, verse 22, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such there is no law. So now I think it's important for us, after reading through that section, that passage, to notice right off the bat that that, you know, Paul reiterates that important aspect of, of life in the Spirit that we've been talking about here through, uh, through this study. And that is, number one, that there is a battle that's being waged within the heart and mind of every believer. There's a battle that's going on between, uh, between our sinful flesh and this new nature that's been given to us by Christ. As well as there's a choice that's before us that's in the midst of this war, a choice between uh, responding to and fulfilling that lust of the flesh or to walk in the spirit, which is to submit and surrender our lives over to God in his way. So again, we talked about all of this last week, that there is a responsibility for us as Christians we looked at those verses. You probably remember them well. Romans 12.1, I beseech you, Paul writes to the Christian, 
I beseech you by the mercies of God to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to the Lord. This is your reasonable service. And James 4, 7, we looked at that last week too. Submit to God and flee from the devil. Or Ephesians 2.10, reminding us that we have been created in God's image for good works, which were prepared before us that we should walk in them. So we see these verses and we see these key words in those verses, whether it's to present ourselves, sacrifice, submit, flee, walk, just to name a few. And I think it's very clear that the Bible teaches there is a responsibility that falls to those who have been redeemed by God, and it comes by way of a choice. Now, of course, there's that choice that we make initially when we repent and receive Christ as our Lord and Savior, but that choice is actually a perpetual one, isn't it? To continue in that attitude of repentance as we chase hard after Jesus. Otherwise, the Bible teaches We just feed into our flesh if we're not pursuing Christ. We feed into our flesh and allow it to just rule over our lives. Pastor and commentator David Gusick wrote this. He says, The body is a wonderful servant, but a terrible master. Keeping it at God's altar as a living sacrifice keeps the body where it should be. It's a great reminder. And so there is a battle And although this battle could be considered invisible, like we've all been taught, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but as Ephesians 6.12 explains, it's, it's a spiritual battle. Although we cannot see this battle that's going on, well, the results are outwardly evident, aren't they? And this is where our subject of fruit comes in. And, and our first question, what, what is fruit? What is the Bible talking about when it's saying that, that, you know, we as believers should be bearing much fruit? So now, if you consider yourself to have an understanding of the Holy Spirit, or even, you know, just as we've gone through this series, you've been reminded of, of who the Holy Spirit is and all that it provides uh, for us in our daily lives. I mean, this really develops such a healthy appreciation for the Holy Spirit, as he leads and guides us, brings knowledge, gives wisdom, as he corrects and cares for us like no other. You know, when I read that sentence that, you know, when Jesus said, I'm going to send you a helper, I'm like, he's so much more than a helper. I love what the late great preacher Charles Spurgeon wrote, elevating our need for the Holy Spirit. He says, without the Spirit of God, we can do nothing. We are like ships without the wind, like trees without sap, like coals without fire. We are useless. It's true. Without God's Spirit working in us and through us, yes, helping us, but so much more, gosh, we are useless. But even in our weakness, despite our limitations, through God's Spirit, He works in us and through us for His good pleasure to accomplish those good works the Bible teaches that he has prepared before us. And that's what the Bible is referring to when it talks about fruit. Those good works, that God stuff that comes from your life as we walk with Jesus and rely on his spirit. Even quite commonly in our society, we do. We use that same expression 
you know, about fruit in, in much in the same way, don't we? Where, where the fruit or the fruits of something are, are the good results that you obtain from something such as hard work or fortitude. The completion of a, of a long-desired goal, maybe that raise that you got at work, that award that you were given, the results of a recent test that you studied very hard for, and all of these things pertain to fruit. And anybody acquainted with the Bible, well, this imagery of fruit is described and used very often to describe these actions and outcomes of one's activity. This imagery of fruit should be very familiar. We see it all the way in the beginning, Genesis 1, where God's directives to Adam and Eve were to be fruitful and multiply. The psalmist in Psalm 1, he, he writes, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. Verse 3, He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, and whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. Even Jesus often used this illustration in his own teachings when he was speaking of the false teachers and, and, and wolves in sheep's clothing. As he called them, he clarified, you will know them by their fruit. And that picture of fruit he would teach in the Gospels would be indicative to the health of the tree and its roots pointing to the contrast between good fruit and bad fruit and how simply a tree is known by its fruit. So biblical fruit in this context is defined as the result or outcome of one's actions and attitudes and ultimate pursuit of life. Again, this can go either way because we also see that when it comes to fruit that there is a difference. We see that here in these verses we read in Galatians. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is in direct contrast with those works of the flesh, those acts of the flesh. In this passage, that list there, verses 19 through 21, they describe every attitude and action in varying degrees. You know, whether somebody is an unbeliever and doesn't know Christ or listen, is even a, a Christian for that matter? Anything, I'm sorry, anyone not operating under the influence of the Holy Spirit, but whose attitudes and action find their source, well, in our own sinful nature. And not everybody does all of those things all at the same time. No, this list of sin, sinful behavior is, is kind of like a, a list that anybody may choose from. You know, kind of like a pick your poison type of a, a list there. But that's where fruit comes from. Comes from really where are we pulling our attitudes and actions from? Is the source from our relationship with Christ or is the source from our sinful nature? That's secondly what we're looking at. Where does it come from? And, and when the Bible speaks of the flesh, it's often referring to, again, our, our natural sinful tendencies, Okay, they, they exist in all of us. The Bible teaches that through Adam's sin, but we all have sinned and were born with this sin nature. Our natural preference 
is to, you know, please ourselves in any way fit, right? But thanks be to God, because of his son, Jesus Christ, he's given us victory over sin and death, and we are no longer slaves to that sinful nature. We're no longer slaves to our sin. But, but there's a contrast. For those who have not been born again, the Bible teaches, and they don't share in that redeeming relationship, well, that list, works of the flesh, well, these describe characteristics that govern one's life. That list is really where they're pulling from to choose how to respond and react at any occasion to meet the demands of their sinful flesh. And we can be trained to behave in a much more social, social acceptable, uh, socially acceptable ways, right? And, and maybe even find some enjoyment, you know, apart from Christ and acting out kindness or displaying, you know, some form of goodness. But listen, without the power of God, we ultimately remain self-centered in all of those endeavors. And this is what happens when a life is directed by their sinful pleasures and this worldly logic that's around them. They're, they're directed by that, that, that passion from within and those do- desires from the flesh. It leads away from righteousness and towards the spiritual darkness that we see looming all around us. Again, that analogy of the the root, the tree, and the fruit. You will know them by their fruits. We often see the fruits of a life given to those selfish desires and passions. And, you know, it's not like they don't seem like they're having fun or they're experiencing some pleasure. We all know that, that sin has its pleasure in its season, but it's only a matter of time before they start to experience the rot and decay that comes from those types of lifestyles and pursuits. But for those who have put their faith in Christ, we have him presiding over our lives. We have his spirits with us. And hey, we might fall into maybe a, a reaction that might reflect one of those you know, uh, things on that list. We might have a misstep into sin or even find ourselves maybe even working in our flesh, you know, to gain some notoriety or uh, some self-worth, even, even while we're trying to, you know, serve the Lord, whatever it may be. Listen, here's the beautiful thing. We have the Holy Spirit who comes in right away to bring correction. I, I know this because it happens daily. Jamie, what are you doing? You shouldn't be doing that. You shouldn't be involved in that. Why are you reacting this way? Man, I've redeemed you for such a greater purpose than this. Man, that one stings. But listen, it's a regular occurrence in the life of a Christian. That confrontation with our flesh that leads to those encounters with the Holy Spirit by the grace of God to bring correction and healthy conviction. Question is, am I submitting and surrendering to the Spirit when he shows up? In those encounters, finding that renewal and reconciliation. Or, or am I rebelling? Do I hear the Holy Spirit bringing that correction 
and I'm just so dead set on getting my way. So dead set on fulfilling my, you know, form and version of justice or satisfaction. Listen, the beautiful truth is that even in our rebellion, God's spirit will continue to knock, won't he? He will continue to chase after us in such patience until we finally surrender. Until we finally surrender. He loves us way too much to let us continue towards what may be harmful for us and others around us. And, and I love that line in, in the 23rd Psalm where, where David writes that, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Because listen, although we don't always do what we ought to do, again, when we fail, his spirit is, is there like a shepherd with his rod or staff to correct us to put us back on the path, back into safety's way, proving his love and care over our souls. You know, it's not like the Holy Spirit, you know, maybe knocks once and you ignore it. He's like, fine, hey, you want to go wandering off into that dangerous territory? Later, good riddance. No. Instead, we're told that uh, and he loves us way too much. Hebrews 12.2 tells us, for whom the Lord loves, he chastens. He disciplines and scourges every son whom he receives. And, you know, I take great comfort because that discipline, that correction is proof that God loves me. It's proof that God will not give up on me. It's proof that I am his, yes, and he is mine. And I like the detail Paul uses there in verse 19 to define the difference he says, now the works of the flesh are evident. So again, this list, although not exhaustive or complete in any way, this lists many attitudes and actions that are related to our sinful nature and are contrary to God's design. But where the works of the flesh are plural, meaning they are many, look at what Paul writes in verse 22. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit singular of the Spirit is love. See, unlike picking and choosing what attitudes and and behaviors will benefit our selfish ambitions, listen, when operating in the Spirit, it's not the same. We don't pick and choose from this basket of fruits what we decide to display in our lives. It's not like we would say, hey, you know, today, I think I'm going to go with joy. I think I'm going to go with joy and, you know, maybe later on this week we'll, we'll have a little patience, you know, like we're, we're meal prepping and planning for, you know, for our week. It's not like this at all. It's not how it works. It's not a list to choose from, nor is it a list that we look at and say, hey, I, that's a list I'm going to work on some of those things. You know, like, man, I know I struggle with patience. I'm going to work on that. I know I got three of those down, those Check those off. Now let's work on patience. This isn't a list to work from. Instead, the reason fruit is singular is because it's a part of the entire package deal that comes with God's presence in our lives. It's what he desires to flow out of our lives. You get one, you get them all. It's like a cluster of of grapes, right? How sad would that be if you, you know, grew grapes and you walked out to your vine, there's one grape hanging on the vine. You're like, what's the deal? This isn't right. It's not normal. 
Just like if one's life, you know, a Christian was displaying patience. It's like, wow, he's a patient man. He's a patient, she's a patient girl. But all of a sudden, other parts of their life, like zero self-control, you know, always worrying, no peace of mind, it's not normal. It's not right in this context. God's spirit comes with this fruit where they're all on display. That's what John MacArthur described talking about the fruit of the spirit. He said, the fruit of the spirit is less like a list or isolated things side by side in a row, but organically together like a bouquet of the most beautiful flowers. That is what the Holy Spirit produces in someone who walks by way of the spirit. And when you see them, they are all on display. Love that. So these virtues that Paul lists here are one in the same. Maybe some of these might stand out and be a little bit more predominant in somebody's life, but they are all on display. They should be all on display in the Christian's life. Turn with me, if you will, to John chapter 15. Throughout history, God has chosen to use rather familiar pictures, as we've seen, to help us understand the most important aspects of our relationship uh, that he desires to, to share with his people. You know, he uses the sheep and the shepherd. He uses the, the seed and the soil, and, and he also uses the vine and its branches, kind of like a, a grapevine, as I mentioned before, which, which grew everywhere, apparently, in Israel. And this picture of a vine and, and its branches, well, they emphasize complete dependence and a need for constant connection, even more so than the sheep and, and shepherd analogy. Like that, the branch and that, that vine, it's, it has to be connected. And, and that's the subject of what Jesus was, was sharing with his disciples. Here in John 15, uh, we'll, we'll go ahead and read starting in verse 1. Jesus says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. Stop there. I think he's pretty clear. Jesus talking with his disciples, using that illustration of the vine and the branches, answers the question, where does this fruit come from? Well, it comes from him. Jesus says, I am the vine. Abide in me as I abide in you. And, and this fruit of the Spirit, singular fruit, comes not only from our submission to Christ, but listen, it comes from, from our connection with him, in pursuing him, to know him more and more. And that's it. 
that's where this comes from, that, that connection. It's not by our striving and straining as Christ, Christians. By, by the work and person of God's Holy Spirit within us, listen, this fruit isn't by way of striving. It comes naturally. And I'm sure we've all heard that, that funny, uh, you know, analogy of the, of the struggling, you know, fruit gritting its teeth and groaning to produce. Well, no, of course not. It's silly. A tree planted in good soil, watered well with enough sun, man, bears fruit naturally. And that's exactly what Jesus is trying to communicate to his disciples and to us, that when we abide in him, and that is our pursuit, that connection with Christ, that that fruit will be born through our lives naturally. We don't have to work on those different virtues and adding them to our lives, but instead it just comes out from a life that's given over and pursuing to stay connected to abiding in Christ, to grow as we grow and glorify him with our lives. But all of these things only come as we, again, abide in him. And again, friends, this is that choice that we talked about. This is the choice that we all have to choose to abide in him. It's a daily choice, isn't it? To abide in him and in, in, in that communion through prayer. To abide in him, in his word, as he speaks his words of life over us and transforms us from the inside out. To abide in him through his body as we gather and worship this way. All of this is a daily choice to abide and receive. For without him, well, I think Jesus was pretty clear. Without him, we can do nothing. Therefore, we shouldn't expect nothing let alone bearing the fruit described here in Galatians 5. But the Holy Spirit's influence in a yielded heart, an abiding heart, listen, friends, it can work mightily. And I don't know about you, but when I think of my life as a believer, I know the areas that I want to grow in. God's given vision, and he's prompted my heart towards things. I want to see those things through to the glory of God, and I'm sure the same is with you. Those things come by way that choice that we make to abide in Christ. So that's where that fruit comes from. Let's talk about its purpose. What is its purpose? And right off the bat, we see that the evidence of God in transformation, both personally and publicly, is a purpose for God's fruit through our lives. The first one is our character. When we live lives that display the fruit of the Spirit, it becomes evident that transformation has taken place. And it puts God's supernatural work on display. I love that. Because you see people completely transformed. You know, where the harsh person becomes gentle and loving. The violent and angry person becomes patient and kind. The lost, and they find that peace of mind and security in Christ Jesus. All of this is evidence of Jesus and his work in the life of somebody submitted to him. And friends, I don't know if there's anything more motivating personally than seeing God work and move in my own life. Transformation taking place. It's a powerful motivator, both personally and publicly, which is really our, our next pers- purpose, and that's, that's really that public display. That's our witness to those people around us. That manifestation of God's work 
in our lives and the, and the fruit of the spirit on display, friends, it leaves such the sweetest taste in the mouth of those people that we interact with, doesn't it? Especially the unbeliever. And, and I love what Warren Wiersbe writes here. He emphasizes the fruit of spirit uh, and its purpose. He says, we must remember that this fruit is produced to be eaten and not to be admired, but put on display. People around us are starving for love and joy and peace and all the other graces of the spirit. And when they find them in our lives, they know that we have something they lack. We do not bear fruit for our own consumption. We bear fruit that others might be fed and helped and that Christ might be glorified. I love that. You know, our Easter banner that we're putting up on the marquee that, you know, faces the street, you know, it has all the, you know, pertinent information about Easter and where it's at. But, but the header above it all, it says, are you scared yet? No, I'm just joking. It doesn't say that. It says, it says, got hope, question mark. You know, and it's just a simple line that we feel might be prompting to people driving by who have no hope and might see that and say, Yes, I want that. I mean, you could take any one of these, these fruits of the Spirit and, and, and list it there with the huge question mark. You could say, got love? No, I, I want love. I need love. Got joy? Oh, man, that's what's missing. Got peace? Got self-control? Any one of those things points to a desperation in our humanity that lacks such beautiful things that we partake of being children of God and having his spirit within us. This is why there's such an uptick in, in I, I, what I believe in things like drug abuse and alcohol abuse. And we see people come in off the, the streets into the church, uh, I mean, on such a regular basis, and it's increasing these days. Depression and even suicide, which is so sad. Our life bearing witness that Jesus has saved us and is now working these attributes in and through our lives is one of the most attractive evangelical tools that there will ever be, which is why Jesus encouraged us to let this light shine brightly in the sight of others so that they may see our good works and turn, most importantly, turn to God. Lastly, by the grace of God, we become more and more like Jesus. We become like him as we cultivate the fruit of the spirit in our lives, become more conformed into that image, that likeness of Christ and reflect his character. Friends, this is the most important purpose of God's spirit in our lives and that fruit that is born where our sinful flesh produces certain types of of results that reflect our own nature. Listen, the Holy Spirit desires to produce fruit that reflect God's nature. And as we think of each aspect of the fruit, we ultimately see an image of Christ, right? When you look at that list, you see, well, who has loved much as our Lord? Who has displayed such joy? The Bible teaches for the joy that was set before him, and he endured the cross. Who has walked in perfect peace and demonstrated such depths of patience? All of these we see in the person of Jesus. One last thing to note, as we look at these aspects of the Spirit's fruit, well, we see Paul, he begins there with the virtue of love. 
Because really, all of these other virtues that we see listed there are an expression and an extension of that virtue of love. Compare these aspects you know, with the, the description that Paul gives of love in, in 1 Corinthians 13. I'll, I'll put it up on the screen. Paul writes, love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It doesn't demand its own way. It's not irritable and keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. Listen, this is description of agape love, that that supernatural divine love that only comes from Christ. And listen, when we abide in Christ and his agape love, then we start to experience joy, don't we? We experience the love of Christ over us, despite us. We experience joy. That inward peace also comes with it. That satisfaction, that, that it's not affected by our outward circumstances. And this love and joy together, well, they produce that peace of God that surpasses even our own human understanding, doesn't it? Because of God's unconditional love over us, well, listen, friends, that compels us to love those around us. Despite the most offensive and arrogant, and because he has loved us, oh, man, compels us to love our neighbor. And through his spirit, we can have compassion as we exercise patience and kindness And goodness, which is God's love in action. Listen, our human nature can never do any of this on our own. We can try to produce counterfeit fruit, but it will never measure up to the true fruit that is born through a life, again, submitted to Christ, pursuing that connection to abide in Him, choosing that daily choice, making that daily choice to abide so that we receive that outflowing of his spirit, that fruit put on display for all those purposes that we went through. May we be those surrendered and submitted, choosing to abide and transformed more and more into the image of his son, taking on his nature and and glorifying God through our attitudes and actions as we follow after him. Amen.